Podcast. My name is Poppy. And my name is Matthew. July 2023 was hotter than any month ever. Sea levels around England could be up to 35 centimetres higher by 2050. We have seen wildfires tear through countries like Hawaii. So, remember what is going on with our planet and how we make a difference. But, what if people feel like the government isn't taking climate change seriously? We chat with Jester Oil about the problem. We try our best to reduce our carbon footprints, walking more on or using public transport, reducing our meat intake and washing our single nude plastic to be recycled. We want to protect our planet and David, Corinda and Taz Catapult James, Director of Reserves Management at Surrey Wildlife Crash. And Krista takes us to Nicholas Corner to meet the great team working hard to conserve our green space. But you've probably seen over the news this oil from motorway protests to flowing sick. Overvalued and thousands of tubes of glue. Just the oil is an environmental activist group that will stop at no limits to get the government to take climate change seriously. And David has been down. Heard the three questions for the activist group. Hi, this is David. Hi, it's Tesh. Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Kat. So tell us a little bit, for those who don't know, about who you are. My name is Kat. I live in Cumbria. I work as a specialist eating disorders nurse in the NHS. I've been involved with, I guess you could say, climate activism for quite a few years on and off, um, but more intensely in the last couple of years since Extinction Rebellion and Just Up Oil came on the scene. You probably know, you probably heard about Just Up Oil. It's basically a grassroots movement. It's quite a new sort of organisation set up last year in response to the Conservative government's plans to licence over 100 new oil fields in the North Sea. And so it's in response to that because we know that that is not compatible with fighting against the climate crisis. What message do you have 
for people who don't take global warming seriously. It's important to remember that the climate crisis is going to affect absolutely everybody. There is not one person or one section of society that is not going to be affected by the climate crisis. So if you want to breathe clean air, if you want to have food on your table, if you want access to clean water, then you need to care about the climate crisis because this is what's going to happen down the road if we don't get on top of this within the next five years, really. But we're talking about people's basic needs not being met. You know, if you if you want to have safety and security for your children, if you want to have food on the table, then we need to care about this issue. This is not just about hugging some trees and you know, we all like to hear the birds sing outside and we all like to see beautiful plants and flowers flourishing, but this is about basic survival. What is the alternative to fossil fuels and is it a long-term solution? Quite a big question, <laughs> but I'll do my best sort of summary. I think it's important firstly to mention, have you heard of the IPCC report? In the latest IPCC report that came out in, I think it was January this year, it clearly sets out all of the different mitigation options and adaptation options. And it clearly says that we now have all of the resources, tools and technology available to mitigate against global warming and to not need fossil fuels, basically. So I think that's really important to mention in terms of like, there's obviously lots to discuss there, but... The main thing I would say is in terms of energy, we can invest in renewables. So things like wind and solar and hydro, cost of wind and solar have come down by about 70% in the last 10 years. And so actually, currently, it's going to be more expensive to maintain the fossil fuel infrastructure than to transition to renewable energies. So... I think Antonio Guterres said recently in one of his speeches that investing in new oil and gas is moral and economic madness. So it's completely doesn't make sense on any level. So yeah, investing in renewables, things like reducing energy demand. So that sort of could mean insulating people's homes, retrofitting people's homes with high quality insulation. So then that means that you don't need to use as much energy. Things like transitioning to a plant-based diet, probably loads more, but that's the kind of key things. And I guess things like investing in public transport, encouraging people to walk or cycle, protecting vulnerable people. So yeah, that's a really quick summary. If you are interested, the IPCC report, the policymakers report is about 40 pages long. So it's not really, really long. And it does set out in a lot of detail what all the mitigation and adaptation options are in that report. How much coverage do natural disasters get from mainstream news outlets and how do you feel the public get told the whole story? This is a really interesting and a really good question. So thank you for asking this question. Environmental disasters and big sort of weather events and things do do get reported on, but I think a lot of the time the problem is that they're not linked to the climate crisis. So things like the BBC recently reporting on the heat waves in Europe, I think they said 
something like it's hard to link individual weather events to global warming. But actually, we know we know for a fact that the heat waves and the wildfires that we've been seeing in Europe are a direct result of global warming and the climate crisis. So I think even though these events do get reported on, it's the way that they're framed and the way that they, they're they sort of told the story. And I think they're doing a massive disservice to people and um, by not sort of really telling the truth and, and painting and having this sort of boldness to really tell people what's actually happening because it is really, really scary. It's a really uncomfortable truth. It's something that's really difficult to come to terms with, but we, we know that the, the science is very clear that we know that these extreme weather events are a direct result of um, global warming. And the mainstream media are absolutely complicit in not giving people the truth um, and not, like you say, giving people the full picture. The mainstream media do need to be held to account because of that. Just to add, do you think, you know, in contrast, you think, do you think more worldwide outlets like World at One and Al Jazeera would, you know, be outside mainstream media? Yeah, I think there's, there are some media outlets that are much better than newspapers like The Guardian, probably better in their coverage of the climate crisis. And I think it does sort of depend, you know, what, news outlets I don't want to sort of paint them all with the same brush because I think there are independent news outlets um that are pretty pretty good with their reporting but I think mainstream media outlets particularly that the Rupert Murdoch's group you know not really not sort of giving people an accurate picture of what's happening and we really make a difference recycling not traveling abroad walking not driving Thanks, uh, Tashin, <laughs> for that question. I think it's a really good question. And I think in order to make the changes that we need to make, everybody's going to have to change their lifestyle and make adaptations um, to how they live. By sort of addressing the climate crisis, we're not talking about people going back to the dark ages and living in the woods and eating berries. I think there's this association with of tackling global warming with us sort of somehow living a very kind of basic life you know going back to medieval times and actually we know that addressing climate change will probably result in people having much higher standards of living so this is sort of a roundabout way of answering your question i don't want to discourage people from making individual changes i think those things can be meaningful but i think what we really need is widespread rapid systemic change at a government level so coming from policymakers, you know making the necessary changes that we need to basically survive and yes it's it's all good stuff to do your recycling or you know not go on as many flights or cycle to work whatever it is these things are are really important they're, they're a drop in the ocean compared to the change that we need to see that makes sense and I think it's important to point out as well the richest one percent in the world make as many co2 emissions as the poorest half so actually it really is the the rich elite who are the most responsible for pumping co2 into the atmosphere not your kind of everyday working person I should add though that that there's you know some good people in the 1% or put, they still would choose using private jets because they 
think that traveling with public groups, that would, that would be a bit difficult. So just to put it into perspective, a one-way flight on a private jet from London to Rome would be the same amount of CO2 emissions that a whole family in Somalia would produce in their entire lifetimes. You know, yes, there's, I know, obviously, celebrity culture and people need their privacy and stuff, but it's absolutely no excuse to be using private jets. We're in a climate emergency and these people are the biggest the biggest culprits and they have the most, I guess, the most leeway in terms of reducing their emissions. The average person may be able to make small changes, which would make a small difference. But people who are using private jets on a regular basis, that's a massive amount, you know, tons and tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. And there are there are celebrities that are more responsible in their choices as well. Um you think about sort of Leonardo DiCaprio, I know that he's taken commercial flights and things like that, or he massively reduced the amount that he does fly. So we all need to take responsibility. I totally take your point. We hear a lot about Just Up Oil on the news, but tell us something, anything you know, what's next for Just Up Oil in the future? So, I mean, me personally, I've been down to London several times in the last kind of six to eight months i've been arrested during a roadblock i'm sure you've heard about the slow marching we had a really long block of uh, slow marches in central london so i took part in some slow marches i try to kind of chip away at uh, at people gradually sort of um, bringing in environmental messages where i can i think obviously in terms of just off oil As you'll probably know, Rishi Sunak announced that he was opening these 100 new licenses for oil fields in the North Sea, um, which we kind of knew was on the horizon, but that's sort of been formalized now. And I think it goes against all the available evidence and science. It really is a massive betrayal of of children and young people. And we know that this um, is absolutely not compatible with with net zero. I mean, the idea of net zero is a bit of a lie anyway, because we need to get to net zero much, much quicker than 2050. And I think Rishi Sunak is putting the lives of millions of children at risk. So I think now more than ever, we know we have to, we know we have to step up. This is completely unacceptable. It's basically a kind of a campaign of suffering. You know, it's going to cause absolutely unimaginable suffering on a catastrophic scale. So we really know that now more than ever, we have to step up in civil resistance. So we're asking absolutely everybody that can and is able to to join us in in whatever way they're able to contribute. We'll have another phase of actions this October. Do you think, though, that, you know, I've, seen somebody that you know the damage is mostly done there's a lot of things that may not be reversible by this point i mean we know for example we know that 1.5 is locked in so there's this been been this idea of like let's keep emissions below 1.5 and we know i mean antonio guterres who's the secretary general of the un said just a few months ago that there's now no credible pathway to 1.5. So we know that, that that's going to, we know we're going to breach 1.5, but that doesn't mean that we're all completely doomed and we just have to give up all hope. That's not true. We have a very 
narrow window of opportunity to mitigate against the worst effects of the climate crisis. So the climate crisis is already happening. It's here. We've seen it. We've seen the 33 million people in Pakistan who got displaced from their homes last year because of climate-induced flooding. I mean, we've seen wildfires across Europe just a few weeks ago, and we've seen children in, in Africa suffering because of drought and famine caused by global heating. So we know it's happening and it's here, but it's about kind of mitigating against the, the worst effects of it and securing a livable future on the planet. And if we keep going on the trajectory that we're going, we'll be on more of a path to 2.8 degrees. And we don't know if humans can survive in, in that kind of climate. So the reason why we really need to step up into civil resistance right now is because we have this such sort of narrow window of opportunity to put into place all of those mitigation options, invest in renewables, invest in public transport, all of those things I was talking about earlier. All of those things are completely economically viable and all of that technology is already available. So the idea that we're not doing that is completely it's completely crazy. You know, sadly, it's going to be the most vulnerable people in society who are going to be the worst affected by this crisis. But that doesn't mean that we should just give up hope. And I know there is a lot of kind of climate doomerism going around, but actually there is still hope and there are things that we can do, but we have to step up now. Thank you for chatting with us today, Kat, and best of luck for the future. Oh, thank you, you too. It was really nice to uh, meet you all and, and chat to you today. Thanks very much. But if we chat to us up next, James from Surrey Wildlife Trust, Surrey Tourism Charity of the Year. I'm David. And I'm Tash. And today we are joined by James from Surrey Wildlife Trust. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. We have some questions to ask and want to know a little bit of what we can do for the environment. I understand why bees exist and the importance of them, but what's the point of wasps? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, and one perhaps I'm surprised to know I get asked a fair bit. As humans, we see them, these these annoying little pests that always buzz around while we're trying to have a, a nice picnic in the sunshine, perhaps, or a bit of uh, food outdoors in the summer. But um, they're actually a really important part of, of uh, the food web and food chain for uh, the ecosystems around us. So they will help pollinate some plants. They are also a food source for a lot of other invertebrates, for some birds, there are crab spiders, for example, that will sit on flowers, they camouflage and will ambush wasps when they come and land. I remember once I was I was out at one of the nature reserves I used to manage. And I was sat having my lunch in a truck on a summer's day and I had the dog in this asleep in the seat next to me and I was just eating a sandwich and I had the window down and I was parked next to a gorse bush and I had I heard this kind of crunching sound coming from outside the, the car and I thought, blimey, what on earth is that? Because it was quite loud and quite close to me. And it was actually a golden winged dragonfly that had caught a wasp and was busy in the process of, of munching on this wasp. But it was the crunching of this dragonfly eating this wasp that I could hear whilst I was having my lunch. So so that was proof, if you ever needed it, that they definitely have a, do have a point in the ecosystem, especially if you're a, a golden winged dragonfly. 
How do you feel about pesticides endangering bees and why are people concerned about all of that? Well, pesticides have been a management technique, if you like, that that has been employed in conservation along with a lot of other environmental sectors for a number of years. And as time's gone by, we've learned more and more about the long-term effects, certainly, of, of pesticides. And with that learning, we've adapted and modified as we've gained more data, gained a greater understanding to look at just quite how far-reaching the effects of some pesticides can be and the long-term implications. So we're seeing a general downturn from from the environmental sector and society as a whole with regards to pesticides. So there's a decreased use. We're using less of them basically now because we better understand now than we did, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago, the wider implications that their use has. So that using less pesticides is having a beneficial effect on the environment and the ecology around us. And in terms of their impact on bees specifically, without bees and without our pollinators, the vast majority of food we eat would be able to be produced because it needs the pollinators to to, to pollinate the crops, which produces the food that, that we all eat. So bees are absolutely crucial to um, our survival on this planet, essentially, as a species, along with a whole host of other species. So by reducing the use of pesticides, things like neonicotinoids, will be helping to create an environment that's better for bees. That means they can carry on pollinating, which means we can carry on eating food. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing. So uh, less pesticides and more bees is no bad thing for both the bees and for humans. <laughs> There's a, there's a load of reasons why letting your garden grow is really important. It gives the opportunity for a whole host of species to feed on the plants that are growing, so caterpillars and other invertebrates that turn into our moths and butterflies. Um, it allows flowers to get pollinated and then set seed, and that's really important because they'll be producing the flowers for the, for the next year. Uh, and that'll go back to the bees and, and butterflies and our wasps that will be going around to pollinate those flowers. But letting the garden grow also provides cover and habitat for some of our other species. So some of our small mammals like uh, mice, hedgehogs, for example, really important for them. And it'll also, particularly with these hot summers that we're getting, provide shadier habitats. So in areas where the garden's allowed to grow more, you'll probably find more things like frogs and toads, for example, because those shadier areas under the grass will create a cooler climate and that'll provide a nice space for frogs and toads and things in the warmth and the real high heat of the summer. So it's really important for a whole host of things that uh, where possible, we let our gardens grow and go a bit wild. Have you noticed that more people have climate anxiety and what do you advise yeah, I have, and I'm not afraid to admit I'm I'm one of those people that has climate anxiety. The, the state of things at the moment is very worrying, uh, and we shouldn't shy away from that, and we should front up to it, mainly because it's us humans that have, that have brought about this change. And my advice for people is be aware of it, because it is a serious issue that we're facing, and we're at a time of, of much-needed change, hopefully. But take some comfort in knowing that well, two things. There's great organisations out there doing phenomenal work to try and protect and restore and enhance the environment for nature. Surrey Wildlife Trust is one of them, but there's countless others across the UK and across the world that are doing uh, exactly the same as the Wildlife Trusts are. But also have a little think about 
what changes, what actions you can take as an individual to help with the problem that we're all facing. I, I don't want anyone to feel like that they're one person. What difference does their effort make? If we all did a little bit, it would make a huge difference to the way the way things are going and the impact we could make. So that might be something simple like using less plastic, letting a bit of your garden grow a bit longer, looking at your diet, for example, and maybe reducing the amount of red meat you eat, perhaps traveling by fossil fuel vehicles a bit less, jump on the bus, jump on a bike, perhaps where you can go for a walk instead. Any little changes that you can make would honestly make a huge difference if we all do a little bit. So there's a heck of a lot that we can all do uh, to make a difference. And hopefully that will help ease any climate anxiety concerns people have. How can we get across to our councils that some things that aren't recyclable should become recyclable, such as yogurt lids or foil or food wrappers? Really good question. And this is a this is a daily frustration that I have when I worry when I try and as best I can buy foods sustainably, but then find something can't be recycled at home and it's it's then extra effort for me to to try and find a way of recycling that product or in some cases, pay more for a product if I can uh, that is in recyclable packaging. I think one of the key things would be to to get across to your local MPD, to speak to your council via email, via a phone call, via a, a walking clinic, perhaps, and just have a chat with them about the things that are concerning you, how it impacts you day to day. Because, like I said, in the answer to the previous question, I was asking everyone to do their little bit and council's job one of their ways of doing their little bit is to make our lives as easy as possible when it comes to facilitating us being able to do our bit so a simple conversation or an email to your local mp to say look i'm trying to be really environmentally friendly but there's a few barriers in the way which is some of the difficulties around home recycling for example is there any chance you could look into this and sort this out because it would make my life easier doing this. Therefore, I'd be able to do a bit more than I currently am. So it would be really impactful if you dropped your local MP a, a note and uh, had that conversation with them. Do you think events like happened in Canada, therefore affecting New York this year, and remind you of what happened with Portugal back in 2017? This is, um, I presume, a question referring to the numerous climatic events and wildfires and things that are going on at the minute across the globe. And, and last year, actually, um, in Surrey, of all the land that we manage, which is about 7,000 hectares, so it's about 7,000 rugby pitches in size, 20% of all the land we managed last year burnt as a result of a wildfire. Um, so it's not just something that happens of a scale overseas. We, we felt it here in Surrey last summer really, really badly, and wildlife has suffered as a result. Yes, those events do remind me of past events, um, and I, I wish they were becoming less frequent. It's looking likely they're, they're going to become more frequent, sadly, unless we take action. And, and here in Surrey, we are, uh, as a wildlife trust, working with local landowners. So that could be the county council, it could be the military, it could be private landowners, reserves we own ourselves, looking at how we can make the spaces we manage a bit more climate resilient. So slowing the flow of water with things like leaky dams that helps keep the ground wetter for longer that helps reduce the risk of wildfires, how we can perhaps manage the habitat differently to reduce the severity of a wildfire. Uh, and in terms of individuals, when you're out on site, just have a little think about your behaviours on site that might pose a risk to creating a fire. So very often we'll get people want to go out on a sunny day and have a barbecue. But 
that's not the best thing to do when it's 30 degrees and it has been for a number of weeks and the nature reserves are absolutely bone dry. It takes very little for them to go up in up in smoke. So by all means, take a picnic, but sandwiches are absolutely fine. You don't need to have a naked flame in a barbecue and things out on a nature reserve. So they'd be some of the actions I think people could take themselves. Uh, and like I said, organizations like ours are also taking some slightly larger scale action. I was actually going to add that, do you know if we've, like crossed the anniversary line of the heat wave that happened um, last year because thinking back, the world as a whole is still breaking record temperatures. Meanwhile, for us, it seems to have simmered down a bit. And I, I don't know if that's been down to, you know, some people are starting to try and reduce carbon footprints or if there's more recycling involved. It's a really good question. So a couple of days ago, it was this time last year that we broke the record temperature in the UK for um, for, for um, the highest temperature in one day. And the interesting thing about climate is, is like you say, people naturally compare their own experience this year with last year or the year before or 10 years ago. But what some global scientists are doing is looking at the climate on the planet as a whole. And just because, for example, this year we haven't experienced the heat that we experienced last summer doesn't mean that climatically you know globally the world is still undergoing a significant change in the wrong direction hence the fires in in Canada and uh, across parts of the US so yeah it's it's something that's that is a change uh, and something that we need to bear in mind change is, is still going in one direction even though here in the UK we might get some years where it seems like things are actually going in the right direction but globally they're not sadly how can people get involved in helping Terry wildlife trust? There's a whole host of ways people can help by getting involved with Surrey Wildlife Trust. There's an obvious one, which is to become a, a member of the trust, and that way you'll get a, you'll be kept up to speed with all the work that's going on on our sites, the action we're taking for nature, and your membership obviously directly contributes to helping fund conservation activities in the county. You could volunteer with the trust, and that's invaluable. Our volunteers are an incredible, incredible limb of the trust. They're out doing work in all weathers, uh, maintaining habitats, repairing paths and fences, looking after the cattle, checking on them when, when they can, when they're on reserves. But you can also volunteer perhaps in one of the offices um, as well. So you don't have to be out on a nature reserve. You could go out and do survey work and monitor some species out on some of the sites and feed the data into us. Uh, it could be something as simple as photographic records. You know, if you're a keen photographer, just taking photos of what you've seen and, and sending them into us. Uh, helps build the picture of what's going on in our environment. So there's a whole host of ways you could uh, you could have Surrey Wildlife Trust, and, and and that's just a few. But if you're interested, by all means, get in touch with the trust, and we'll 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 figure out a way uh, that means we can help in a way that works for you as well. We are asking people to to take action for nature, to take action for wildlife. So it's making a change that benefits the environment and the wildlife around you. So. For some of the things we've discussed in this podcast, for example, it could be that you leave a section of your lawn unmown and you let the grass grow long. That would be that would be acting for wildlife. It could be that you cycle or walk more instead of drive the car. That would be acting for wildlife. It could be that you're out doing some volunteering work with the Wildlife Trust or another conservation charity. That would be acting for wildlife. It could be some survey work that you might be undertaking to help inform us what's happening on doesn't have to be a nature reserve it could be in your garden uh, in a local park anywhere that would be acting for wildlife so it can be the tiniest or seems like the tiniest of of actions 
for wildlife. But like I said before, they all add up to this massive picture that really informs us with regards to how wildlife is doing in Surrey. So any action you could take for wildlife is is a contribution to that. What's an idea to be greener and how would it affect people, you know, in the positive, with disabilities in the positive term? So how in the world, like, what would it benefit with Surrey Choices? For those directly at Surrey Choices, we've, we've actually been working with um, uh, a lady who who is in a wheelchair uh, and and done a lot of work with her into with regards to how we can make the work we do more accessible for those with disabilities. Um, it's been a hell of an eye-opener for me, uh, a hell of an eye-opener. She's an incredibly driven individual and things that I would perceive would be a barrier to her, uh, she doesn't even consider as a barrier. She's a, she's a truly inspirational lady. That's been a bit of an education for me, if I'm honest, and a positive one, because it's opened my eyes up to how we as an organization can make our, well, make our sites more accessible, but also how what we can do to bring nature to people to an extent as well. And and in that regard, that's where sort of communities and, and, and what people can do as individuals will, will help bring nature to you anyway, to some extent. And the Wildlife Trust's role in that is enabling people to have the the knowledge, the skills, the understanding of what they would need to do to 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 help bring nature to your local patch. We don't just want nature on our nature reserves. We want nature reserves in your gardens. We want it in the local parks. We want it in the high streets. We want nature everywhere. Um, and any advice and information and support we can give to help facilitate that, I think, is something that will 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 play a part for everyone uh, in society. Thank you for meeting us today, James. Pleasure. Thank you ever so much for having me. Now let's take a trip to Newton's Corner where we're Krista from the Surrey Hills Society. Located just four miles east of Guildford, Newton's Corner is 103 hectare nature reserve with some of the best views over the Surrey Hills and our Surrey Choices group team have been getting the hands dirty helping out. Hi, I'm Krista and I work for Surrey Hills Society as Project and Volunteer Coordinator. Surrey Hills Society is a charity and we basically work to conserve and promote enjoyment of the Surrey Hills national landscape. So today I'm at Newlands Corner with the Surrey Choices Growth Team who we've been working really closely with over the last 18 months doing various conservation and access projects. So the guys have been working really hard at Newlands Corner in particular doing lots of different conservation projects. So this includes things like scrub clearance, opening up the viewpoint. Today we've been doing some dead hedging work to protect some really old yew trees. And we've actually been working alongside a corporate group from Unum today, so it's been really nice to have the groups working together. So the Surrey Hills is an area of outstanding natural beauty, so it's a protected landscape, and we're all about promoting it to the nation, so it should be there for everybody but also to conserve its special species and habitats. So we have various things going on. So we have the Surrey Hills family and the Surrey Hills Society as part of that. But we also have Surrey Hills Enterprises, which is a community interest company promoting sustainable business in the Surrey Hills. 
And we also have Surrey Hills Arts, which is an arts programme and all about connecting with the landscape through the arts. We have some upcoming events, such as the Surrey Hills Wood Fair, which is taking place on the 9th and 10th of September. And the Surrey Choices Growth Team are actually going to be there running a composting activity in our Making Space for Nature marquee, which is all about connecting with nature. So that's really exciting. And we've also got Wonder Dusk coming up, which is a Surrey Hills Arts activity, which is all about the woodland of wonder and exploring through the arts, connecting with woodlands. So that will be really good as well. Surrey Hills Society has recently launched a conservation volunteering program called Surrey Hills Conservation Volunteers, of which the growth team are part of. And this is all about promoting enjoyment and conservation and access in the Surrey Hills. So if anyone does want to get involved with volunteering, then we run lots of open to the public events throughout the year. And the best way is to email volunteering at surreyhillssociety.org or visit our website, which is www.surreyhillssociety.org. And we are really open to everyone joining us and there's no commitment necessary. You can just turn up and book your free place on the day and we'll email you all the latest and upcoming opportunities. We also, at the Surrey Hills Society, have a membership and we run about 60 events per year, which is basically anything of interest in the Surrey Hills. So this could be behind the scenes visits to houses or gardens or vineyards or gin distilleries visiting local businesses and we try to add value to the public experience. So it's a really nice way to meet lots of like-minded people that are interested in Surrey Hills. And we also run a, a free guided walk every first Sunday of the month, which is exploring lots of different areas in the Surrey Hills. And some of them are town walks, some of them are more countryside-based walks, but again, a nice way to meet people and completely free as well. The best thing about working for Surrey Hills Society or volunteering with Surrey Hills Society is that you can make a really big difference to the environment without doing too much. So even just by volunteering your time at one of our hedge planting sessions, for example. So hedge planting is really important because it helps to connect up the landscape, but also is really good sequester of carbon. Today, we've actually been doing some litter picking. So just remembering to take home your litter, um, including dog poo. Picking that up is a really good way to keep our environment nice and clean. And also just, I think connecting with nature is really important. So if you don't love anything, then you're not going to protect and respect it. So it's a good way to go out, connect with nature, and then hopefully people will like to look after it in the future as well. So I'm going to head down now to the dead hedging site and see what the guys are up to and see how far they've got. I'm Lydia Simpson, I'm Vocational Projects Development Manager for Surrey Choices. I'm Colin Wright, Surrey Choices Growth Team Volunteer. So what sort of tasks have you been involved in up at Newlands Corner? Clearing brambles, creating dead hedges, clearing rubbish, whole range of activities. What sorts of machinery and tools have you used? Trimmers, brush cutters, edge cutters. I'm confident in all of them. Health and safety wise, Colin's amazing, he knows his stuff. Yep, I joined the growth team going about five years ago. What's your favourite thing to do on the growth team? I won't say kebabs. <laughs> Especially certain people, I'm not going to mention their names. So out of the activities that you do? I'll probably have to say with variety of work. And in fact we all get on with each other. You do habitat, countryside management stuff, yeah. learning about those. Yeah. You do health and safety of machinery. Yep. 
do quite responsible for the vehicles. Yes. Sort of sites we go out to, we do rights away work with Surrey County Council, public bridleways. Yep. What kind of tasks do you have to do for that? Remain first casting, clearing fallen trees. We work with Tice's Meadow Bird Group over in Farnham, which is a beautiful site. We're normally there some Fridays. We do work at Wayburn Meadows. Yep. We undertake tasks at White Rose Lane Nature Reserve in Woking. A lot of clearance, yes. isn't it, that one? A bit like a jungle that gets. Yeah. There is all sorts of elements of learning within the team, whether that's knowing where you're meant to be on time, having your work kit, having your boots, having your lunch, being organised, to the social side and the social boundaries, to then the health and safety side, but then you've also got learning about the countryside habitat management at the same time. Have you seen any cool animals? I've a few team members. Okay, can you grab some stuff for over here? I don't. Just a bit more that. Yeah. We're in that gap. Do I need posts? No, no, no. Just, just literally between here and the tree. So just the oh, stuff just to go on top. My name is Rebecca Freer. I'm Head of Marketing at Unum, which is a local employer. I'm here today with a group of my marketing colleagues to support Surrey Choices in preserving these amazing yew trees that are, as I read it, a thousand years old. So we've been busy doing dead hedging, which I've never done before, but look at that. It's impressive. Just so simple, actually, how it's done, but really effective because it still looks like part of the forest. It's all very natural and has the impact that it needs without... The hard bit, avoiding all the prickles. My ankles are not going to be pretty tonight, I'm not going to lie. And honestly, that's probably the hardest bit. It's been really good. I've learned some new skills. I've learned how to hammer posts into the ground. Never done that. Prickles the worst bit. Best bit, I think, the feeling of achievement, actually, and how much you can do together. It was good. No, and it was nice to spend time with the Surrey Choices team. They're a really good, good bunch of people. Yeah, they're really chatty. Very cheeky. We are heavily invested in supporting the local community and giving back to society. What we do is about um, helping people, so helping people in the workplace during our daytime and then helping our wider community and people to um, embrace and experience the local area. So we're really encouraged and supported to do volunteering days like this, so it's such a lovely chance for us to give back. I'm from Unum. My name's Sarah Walker. We are a employee benefits company. We're based in Dorking. That's our head office. And I'm with our marketing team. So Unum has a responsible business strategy. And as part of that, we're all offered volunteering hours. We all have 24 volunteering hours every year where we're allowed to spend our working hours actually supporting environmental, charitable or any sort of volunteering project. So um, we've opted to do it as a team today. So it's checking lots of boxes, it's volunteering, it's supporting the environment and it's really good team building. We haven't done this before at Sorry Choices. We've done other similar projects with other local organisations. So we've been put into different teams and we've been litter picking and then we're at the moment we're creating a natural barrier putting stakes into the ground and then filling the gaps in between the um, stakes with hawthorn. I understand the hawthorn's been gathered from a, a local farm and that was sort of essentially waste product so it's it's really sort of a circular initiative. It's really great to be part of these things I'd recommend it to anybody you know whether you've got volunteering days or not maybe you could talk to your company your organisation and or you do it yourself you know get in touch with Surrey Choices uh, a really good thing to do.
I'm Craig and I'm here with the growth team and I decided to come out here today to make a difference to the world around us. We do a lot of different jobs like makeshift fences and we enjoy doing it because we're with different companies and we experience different things from it. If you're trying to do a gardening course landscape, this is the best way you can do it. Three main steps. One, start from square one before you start going to the advanced part of planting. Step two, think about which month and day what plants need to be put where. Step three, just enjoy yourself outside, really, because you're not going to get that often. I'm Jonathan David Lerzer and my nickname is Dono. I'm in Newlands Corner today because I was cutting hedges and looking after the trees and sticks and the environment, nature, birds, species and animals. And I was helping lots of people and communities. Everybody worked together as a team. I've been doing the Grove Team since 2016. Seven years I've been here. I love doing the Grove Team. It's fun and it's great. It's really enjoyable. I do some leaf blowing, strimming and hedge cutting. One of the things that I work outside that I like animals. I think I love birds, butterflies, ladybirds. Uh, I love ladybirds, bees, robins. And I like to help the environment with nature is that it's very important. I think it's important because, it, because you've got to look after uh, the place and look after lots of communities and, and the vulnerable and the disabled and others and, and the elderly as well as, as all the animals. Thank you. Well, it, it's so nice to hear all the good work with Chloe Sorensen's. Keep it up, everyone. And how people could get involved with showing hills like myself. I am part of a Dutch group called Free Willis, and we are performing at one death at Butts Hill, which is on the 16th of September, between 6.30 and 8pm. We would love to see you there. It is a free entry. But booking is recommended. Find the links in the description ports to book your tickets. To finish up the show, let's hear who goes above and beyond. Hi, my name is Self. I want to eliminate Corinne for above and beyond because. He was my one to two one for every Friday afternoon when we done this speaking up stuff. Everything said he helped me and I helped him. He's really funny, helps me, jobs with me. He is a brilliant worker. This is to say faith, yeah.
Hi everyone, it's me, Dex, here just to let you know about September's Positive Choices meeting, Wednesday the 13th of September, between half past one and 2.30 on Microsoft Teams. We've got a fun and interesting meeting planned. We're going to be talking about saving our planet and how important it is to look after the environment. We've got a fun music quiz with Martin. We've got Demi coming to talk to us about how you can be looked after when you're using the hospital if you've got a, a learning disabilities. Uh, we're going to be talking about Pride. We've got Martin Farrell, our new managing director, coming to give us an update and answer your questions. If you come regularly or if, if it's your first time, I look forward to you seeing you there. We have been this month's host, Poppy Hammond and Matthew England. Thank you for listening and hopefully it will all work together. We can make a difference until next time. Bye. Bye.